This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the top stories from the past week and get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about COVID and the state's nursing home residents and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Governor J.B. Pritzker can't say how many COVID-19 hospitalizations had seniors moving back from hospitals to long-term care facilities. Some say the governor should end the policy and there should be an investigation. Pritzker's Department of Public Health said it provides guidance for moving patients from hospitals to long-term care facilities based on federal guidelines. Pritzker said such patients were kept separate from others. Um, Again, each uh, nursing home has a slightly different measure depending upon whether multiple floors or wings on one floor. You don't remain COVID positive after you've recovered for very long at all, in fact. And so they're trying to, you know, take a measure of what the science says and then act upon that at the nursing home. WirePoint's President Ted Dabrowski has been tracking all COVID-19 data and found more than half of the COVID-19 deaths have been at nursing homes. The numbers continue to grow in in terms of uh, the share of deaths from retirement homes. I don't know if there's been a plan put in in place to end it. Dabrowski said Pritzker's administration is trying to use the federal guidelines as cover. He said with around 3,400 deaths tied to nursing homes, there needs to be an investigation. Here we have you know, multiples of that issue, and yet we're not having an investigation. I think this is, a, this is the, 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 the untold story of this crisis right now is half of the Illinois deaths are coming from retirement homes, and Governor Pritzker should, should himself be demanding an investigation to find out what happened. Dabrowski said Pritzker's administration should have known nursing homes were vulnerable from reports laid out in Italy and in Washington State where the first major U.S. outbreak occurred earlier this year. Among other things, President Donald Trump's new executive orders incentivizes police to have strong certification and bans the use of chokeholds unless the life of an officer is threatened, and it's finding mostly good marks across Illinois. The measure also directs money for co-response people to go to nonviolent calls with police. Those would be regarding homelessness and substance abuse. Illinois Sheriff's Association Executive Director Jim Kaichek said he was initially worried about tracking officers in a national database, not allowing for due process. But that's not at all what the president's done here. Um, he talks about that these these situations would be available only on an aggregate basis, and the only way you get into the database is after that due process has been established. State Representative Maurice West said Trump's EO is a step forward, but he's also looking for more discussions about racial injustice. In the times that we're living in, I'm confident that um, people have been addressing this to the president. It's just getting him to speak on it at the end of the day and seeing it as something that's gravely important for our nation. West said if there's a special session at the Illinois State House, there needs to be a supermajority vote to pass laws meant for immediate start dates, but he hopes to focus on more police certification. I'm hoping that since the president mentioned this and saying that this is needed, Well, will it make it to where we can fast track it even um, more so on a bipartisan level? Kaichek said that didn't stop the tragedy from occurring in Minnesota. Um, You know, I I have some serious concerns about how that would move forward. So I'd want some really in-depth conversations before this organization and and the sheriffs would get on board. Kaichek said before hastily passing something in a special session like a state license for police, 
State lawmakers need to continue discussions on the core issues of societal problems. The Illinois Republican Party suing Governor J.B. Pritzker in federal court so political gatherings can happen heading into the election despite the governor's pandemic executive orders limiting groups to fewer than 10. Illinois GOP Chairman Tim Schneider said the governor's acting like an unaccountable king dictating what's allowable. And now we see Pritzker continue to restrict funerals, weddings, festivals, youth sports and political gatherings. At the same time, he marches with thousands of protesters on crowded streets. He said he agrees with the same protests Pritzker took part in to decry the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. It was awful. They had a right to protest. We support their protests, but we just want those same rights when it comes to political gatherings. Schneider said the GOP's challenge to the governor's order seeking immediate relief is important, not just because it's an election year and political parties need to meet, network, and strategize, but because the governor has shown he's willing to act against those who don't comply with his edicts. This governor is the same governor that wanted to fine and criminally charge people, small businesses, who tried to open their businesses ahead of his executive order. Liberty Justice Center attorney Daniel Sir said instead the governor's giving a pass to gatherings he attends, leaving open the ability to enforce against others. The First Amendment, he said, demands equal treatment. For us as voters uh, to make informed choices in the public square about the candidates we support, about the policies we advocate, we need a level playing field. The lawsuit seeks to deem the governor's orders unconstitutional and allow political groups to meet. The governor's office didn't immediately respond. A panel of federal judges says Governor J.B. Pritzker's 10-person COVID-19 restrictions on religious institutions is legal. Cole Lauterbach has more. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the restriction Pritzker lifted last month doesn't infringe on the First Amendment rights of Illinoisans. In the opinion, Judge Frank Easterbrook said churches holding food drives and other community services was fine in larger groups, but service wasn't as essential. He likened it to a concert. Liberty Council founder Matt Staver, who is the head attorney in the case, called the statement shocking. Judges neither have the competence nor are they authorized to make determinations as to the orthodoxy or the importance of your worship. Pritzker walked back the restriction after Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh referred to the challenge directly to the Supreme Court. An assistant Illinois Attorney General told appellate justices that she wouldn't guarantee Pritzker wouldn't reinstate the crowd restrictions after the suit is resolved. I'm Cole Lauterbach. There's still no update for county sheriffs on whether they'll be able to transfer inmates that should be in the custody of the Illinois Department of Corrections. The problem began in March when the state's COVID-19 emergency was declared. Sangamon County Sheriff Jack Campbell said that they had 30 inmates Sangamon County's been holding for IDOC. He's not worried about capacity at this point as much as he's worried about liability. Potential um, lawsuit issues of, of inmates that are in our custody. It's, it's workman comp issues if they get in a fight with our correctional officer. So there's a lot of problems that are, that are arising because of DOC not taking these inmates. Kankakee County Sheriff Mike Downey said it's been weeks since the sheriffs filed a lawsuit against the state. At this point, we haven't been told when or how much or when this is going to come to an end um, from the standpoint of them taking inmates again. Downey said while arrests are down slightly in his area, the crimes that are being committed are more severe, like weapons offenses and domestic battery. The Illinois Department of Corrections said it can't comment because of pending litigation, but it remains focused on responding, mitigating, and controlling COVID-19 in the state's prisons. Illinois voters who have cast ballots in elections since 2018 will automatically be sent an application for a vote-by-mail ballot for the November election, and it's going to cost county clerks more to do it. The governor signed the bill this week, saying during the COVID-19 pandemic, expanded mail-in voting allows people to exercise their right to vote safely from their homes. Sangamon County Clerk Don Gray expects there to be increased vote-by-mail applications, which will also increase expenses by about $250,000 because mail-in voting is heavier and it takes more manpower and technology to process them. There's a lot there. There's a lot that we're preparing for. This will be a, a clear change for us in how we operate, but we're certainly up for the challenge. Critics of the bill in the state house worried the measure could jeopardize the integrity of the ballot because of things like ballot drop boxes. Gray said that's optional. He's not going to be implementing that in Sangamon County because of chain of custody concerns. We want to make sure that is secure, that it's done properly, and that people's intention of it being returned um, directly from a third party person is transparent and upfront and in front of the election authority. 
The 121st World Trap Shooting Championship, which attracts participants from all over the world, will not take place in Illinois this year. Kevin Bessler files that report. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources says the event wasn't allowed because of COVID-19 health concerns. The event was scheduled for August near Sparta, but now the Amateur Trap Shooting Association has moved the event to Missouri. State Senator Paul Schimpf of Waterloo says it is a major disappointment. I mean, obviously, you know, we don't like the uh, the economic hit that the region's going to take, but I think more importantly, uh, I'm disappointed by the governor's failure to lead on this. The event will now be held in Lane Creek, Missouri. Trish Creech is the executive director of the nearby Camdenton, Missouri Chamber of Commerce. We are pleased with the announcement and we will roll out the red carpet for ATA when they arrive in August. The Grand American is the largest trap shooting event in the world. I'm Kevin Bessler. In a review of new residential construction starts in the past year, Illinois had the fourth worst decline in the nation, but it's a mixed bag when looking at areas across the state. ConstructionCoverage.com reviewed data from across the country and found since April 2019, Illinois saw a nearly 60% decline in new construction or a total loss of nearly $248 million change in value. Chicago saw a drop of 54%. For all small metro areas, Champaign-Urbana had the fourth worst decline with 83%. But Bloomington's new starts increased 10 times for the year or a positive change of value of $9.5 million. Dean Graven, a life member of the Illinois Home Builders Association, said it really is a mixed bag across the state. I think the metro markets are just going to lag. I think pent-up demand will come, but I think it's all the rules and regs in the big cities. Down here, uh, people are, you know, the money's there, the interest rates are there, and I think uh, demand is there. He said he hears other downstate areas are seeing very strong demand. I know for a fact, talking with realtors, their new construction inventory is an all-time low. So what we put on the market, we're selling. But he said to increase demand elsewhere, there needs to be more jobs. We're going to have to have some development with employment before we have a lot, any development for residential. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois in Focus' Crosstalk segment. This commentary provided by yours truly, Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square right here in Illinois. And I am joined, as per normal, by my good friend and good colleague, Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square. Dan, happy day. Hey, how you doing? I'm ready to go out and get a nice sunburn. It's about time. I don't know if I want to go that far, but... I'm a month behind. enjoying it. I'm a month behind on my annual yes. sunburn. I only I only have like two colors, like like crayon white and fire engine red. I try and keep it the former. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. Um, hey, we got a bunch of things to talk about today. I wanted to jump into something that you know starting to take national headlines, and you know. Um, and try to bring it back into Illinois here. There was a, a actually a, a very well done piece uh, by ProPublica that looked at uh, COVID-19, um, which we're still, just to be clear, we're still very much in the midst of COVID-19. I mean, mask, no mask, can't go to a playground, can't go to a playground, can't watch baseball or can't play baseball. Uh, we can't watch baseball because baseball doesn't want us to watch it. Um, but it's, uh, the, I think one of the, you know, one of the clear statistics that's burned through, uh, in the midst of COVID is the disproportionality of those affected, uh, you know, with the ultimate price, with the fatality, um, you know, the vast majority of people that have, that have died, uh, in the, in the United States are older uh, that we know. Um, but you know, in that group, it gets even, it gets even, um, a more stark statistic, uh, the number of people who are older who have passed away, who are in congregate care settings, you know, living in, in, um, 
nursing homes and whatnot is uh, is a very very high percentage. Uh, ProPublica story this week talking about what happened in New York and Michigan and New Jersey, uh, and, and c- contrasting that with with Florida and California. And I'll just read from you know from what ProPublica reported: states that issued orders similar similar to New York Governor Cuomo's recorded comparably grim outcomes would include Michigan, which lost 5% of roughly 38,000 nursing home residents to COVID since the outbreak began. New Jersey lost 12% of its more than 43,000 residents. In Florida, uh, where they did not transfer people who had been COVID positive back into congregate care settings like nursing homes, had only 1.6% of 73,000 nursing home residents die of the virus. California, which after initially moving forward with a policy that was like New York's, uh, quickly revised it. And thus far, as of the reporting, um, which was, I believe, published, if not last night, then this morning, California has lost only 2% of its 103,000 nursing home residents. And of course, I guess I kind of skipped an important part in there and that New York Governor Cuomo made the decision to send people who had been treated for COVID back into these congregate care settings, which I've heard some people liken to, uh, you know, gasoline on dry grass as an effect. So in Illinois, Dan, I know that the guys from the center square had a couple questions um, for uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker regarding his decision or decisions and simply asked for a starting point with a statistic. What did we learn and what still remains to be determined? So in in Illinois, um, where we've had almost 6,500 deaths, we're recording this on Thursday, June 18th, we have almost 6,500 deaths, about 6,485, I think is the number. More than half of them occurred among residents of long-term care facilities, such as uh, nursing homes. Um, Governor uh, Pritchett, um, if like New York Governor uh, Cuomo, did he order, uh, did he require um, nursing home resident after they tested positive for COVID-19, did he order them back to nursing homes? And he said they were sent back to nursing homes after they recovered from COVID-19. Of course, COVID-19 is new. Um, we've gotten conflict- conflicting uh, information about it, kind of sort of been dealing with it in, uh, in the U.S. And and uh, because it's such, it's, it's a new uh, viral disease. So my question to Governor Pritchard is, well, how did you know they were fully recovered when you sent them back to nursing homes? We, are, we were initially told that you can, if you, if you can track COVID-19, you can start showing symptoms anywhere between two and 14 days. And that's largely still the case now. So how do we know that the, the, those folks uh, who had to be treated in the hospitals and then were sent back uh, to nursing homes, how do we know that they were free of COVID-19 when they were sent back? Yeah, I mean, to answer that question, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody knows. I don't, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of stumped by this and I'm stumped by his answer because, you know, he spoke with some level of, of, um, of confidence in, in, uh, in, in the decision that he made. And um, even though he wasn't able to, to provide a number off the top of his head, which you know, I couldn't imagine, you know, that he, that he, that he would. Um, uh, it's data that we'll continue to pursue from the uh, Illinois Department of Public Health and from the governor's office. But um, he just doesn't seem to be subject to the same level of scrutiny here in Illinois by uh, Illinois media that um, uh, Governors Cuomo, Murphy, or Whitmer in New York, New Jersey, and Michigan, respectively, have been uh, have been held to thus far. And um, I think it's a uh, it's I think it's important for people to understand sort of what decisions we made as we made them in real time. Uh, because this is a 
I mean, it's a significant public health event. I mean, it's the most significant public health event of our lifetime uh, here in the United States anyway. Um, so to be clear on what decisions were made, when and why, I mean, I think it's, I think it's the public's right to know. Certainly there was enough. Uh, certainly by the end of April, I don't have a timeline in front of me. Maybe it was even earlier that, that this disease was terrorizing senior seniors in, in senior uh, uh, living facilities. The, the data showed that in yeah. general. I mean, terrorizing seniors. Really, the older you were, the more vulnerable you were. And I mean, it makes sense. Right? Yeah, I mean, from, if we knew that from China. Right. We knew that from Wuhan, China. So, so at some point early on, shortly into this, we knew. Um, that that seniors in, in long-term facilities um, most were the most vulnerable, easily the most vulnerable. So why did we not early on change that that process? We built makeshift hospital in, in Chicago at McCormick Place that was largely went unused. There were other there certainly were other options. Instead, we sent these vulnerable seniors back into these nursing homes. At this point, we don't know what, what the ramifications of that decision um, was, um, but I think we can we can certainly speculate that it was not good and more people died because of it. And I, I think that there's that, that's that's a great point. I mean, the strategy of building the hospitals, you know, the, the, the stand-up hospital, the hospital that they stood up at McCormick Place and some of the other facilities that that uh, they sort of renovated that were formerly hospitals or, or uh, you know, healthcare facilities uh, in preparation for the system um, being overwhelmed. It's almost as if we solved or attempted to solve the wrong problem. And the, the broader problem was right in front of us virtually from the start. I mean, the statistics is the statistics rolled in. It, it was pretty clear that this was uh, COVID-19 was having significant impact on the most vulnerable, older people who had m at least one comorbidity. And the reality of it is, I mean, you know, if you're going to live to be 80, 85, 90 years old, or even if you're, you know, in your 70s, I mean, you know, most Americans at age 70, I would think, now I'm not an immunologist, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor of any kind. But I mean, my goodness. I mean, how many people in the United States are 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 on some sort of medication for some inherent health problem that has been diagnosed, if not you know at age seventy, then prior to, um, and then the number of people that have multiple comorbidities, um, you know, people that have smoked, people that have drank, people that have just been unfortunate and, um, you know, and, and have been diagnosed with a, a, a chronic illness like diabetes or heart disease. I mean, these are all known knowns. So I guess, and forgive me, I probably sound like a Monday morning quarterback on this, but as we were putting the plan together as a state and as, and not just here in Illinois, I mean, I, I ease off the gas a little bit in Illinois, but around the country, when we were trying to do whatever it was that we were trying to do to make sure that the healthcare system didn't get overwhelmed, why didn't we start with the senior community? Since they were the most vulnerable, they were the most likely, I mean, right off the bat, statistically, it was very clear to be impacted by the ravages of COVID-19. Why didn't well, and we? You mentioned it. Yeah. Why didn't we? Yeah, do something different with with McCormick Place that went unused. We spent millions of dollars and didn't. I think I don't know how many people went through it. Like twenty. I mean, twenty people, or, or let's say it was two hundred people, which it wasn't. The number never got that high. But I mean, if you've ever been to McCormick Place for the auto show, I mean, or any other event, it's a it's huge. It's huge. It's like the airplane hangar next to airplane hangar next to airplane hangar. Huge. Well, you referenced the California earlier from the ProPublica piece. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom made the early decision, um, mirrored what uh, uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo did, um, initially started sending uh, seniors who were hospitalized 
for treatment for COVID, COVID back to uh, nursing homes, but he quickly realized that that was a mistake. So they changed course. It, it, I, I agree with you, it doesn't make any sense. When confronted with that question that, that was asked um, on Wednesday afternoon in, in uh, an update, an impromptu update that, uh, that the governor gave, J.B. Pritzker said, quote, each nursing home has a slightly different measure depending on multiple floors or wings on one floor. You don't remain COVID positive after you've recovered for very long at all, in fact. And so they're trying to take a measure of what the science says and act upon that at the nursing home. So I, I think one of my bigger issues with the entirety of how we've dealt with COVID-19, you know, as a country is we just kick it downstairs. You know, I mean, um, Trump, his handling of COVID-19, mm, you know, I don't know that history is going to be too kind mm -hmm. to him. The governors then had to pick it up and deal with it at the, at, you know, in, at the state level. But really all the governors have done is kicked it down to the local level. I mean, effectively, we're saying that these nursing homes, which we know in Illinois, there have been problems with nursing homes. I mean, for years, for years. I mean, you know, um, in, inappropriate care, lack of care, um, abuses. We're just going to turn it over to them with some guidelines and hope that it comes out okay. I, I just don't. Nah. Well, I, I personally I, I agree with the uh, the regional approach for many things. You know, South Dakota shouldn't be treated like uh, you know New York, for example. But when it comes to nursing homes, no. Nursing homes everywhere have been ravaged by this. It was clear early on. They should have been treated the same, and people who were sick with COVID should not have been sent back to nursing homes. Well, I look forward to what the Center Square uh, reports on this ongoing, because I do believe, and I've said this a couple of times on the podcast uh, and here in Illinois and Focus uh, on the Illinois Radio Network, that when history looks back at this time, this is going to be one of the most tragic events to occur uh, to seniors uh, that we've ever allowed to happen in, in the history of our country. Uh, I don't know that the little there's anything will ever stand up to that. Um, switching over to sort of what's going on in the state, um, we continue to deal with uh, challenges to uh, public gathering rules. And, um, you know, of course, if you've been watching the news or watching whatever stands for the news on Facebook or wherever you get your news these days, you've seen situations where you've had hundreds, if not thousands, if not in some cases, tens of thousands of people that are marching uh, in, in protests of police brutality uh, in support of George Floyd and others. And uh, at the same time, um, the state states plural, this one included, are having a difficult time dealing with public gathering rules. And what seems good for one uh, is not good for another. So uh, the Illinois uh, GOP uh, is in federal accord trying to uh, gain some clarity around what is okay as far as public gatherings go. What's going on with that, Dan? Yeah, so um, Illinois Governor J.P. Pritzker's executive order does not allow gatherings of more than 10. Uh, of course, as you referenced, in, in the wake of the death of George Floyd, hundreds of people have gathered to protest. Governor Pritzker uh, joined in himself, violating his own rule. So what the Republican Party of Illinois uh, wants uh, a court to, to rule, essentially decide, is that this is a big election year. Obviously, it's um, beyond presidential election. Um, every single state representative um, uh, in, in the Illinois House is up for, uh, uh, so on November, Illinois voters are going to decide who their state rep is, who their state senator is. So the party uh, wants to be able to gather to hold these political, um, in, in pre-election uh, political rallies. But as of right now, under a strict following of Governor Pritzker's uh, executive order, they're not allowed to do that. They feel that's um, um, 
contradictory, particularly when the governor himself has participated in these large gathering protests. Um, so they've taken the, the, uh, their case to court. We should hear soon, I would think, within the next couple of weeks uh, from the court to determine uh, uh, whether or not these political gatherings should be allowed to happen. How do you expect this is going to come out? What's your t what, what, if you had a guess on this one, what, where, how do you think this one's going to go? Well, we, we, we have some precedent this week. Um, uh, uh, an, appellate court, an appellate court this week. Well, I'm, I'm talking about here in Illinois with churches, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and an, an appellate court uh, this week upheld the governor's right to limit gatherings at churches to 10 uh, or fewer people. The, th the ch churches that have the First Amendment on their side, uh, one of the judges wrote in the ruling in, in their ruling, uh, uh, compared essentially churches um, to or sporting events indoors. Um, you know, I don't have a First Amendment right uh, to go to a concert. I, I do have a First Amendment right to practice my religion, mm -hmm. um, which would include which would include going to church services. So, really, I was I was stunned there that decision is going to be appealed up um, and probably end up with the Supreme Court but the Supreme Court US Supreme Court also uh, decided in favor of the state of California's restrictions mm -hmm. on churches which kind of stunned stunned me too so anyway uh, unless the governor um, scales back his restrictions his 10 person limit I, I think it's uh, it's a long shot for the Republican Party now who knows it, you know, it's going before circuit court first. Until this gets to the supreme, the state supreme court, it's it's tough to tough to say for certain. Yeah, it's uh, I guess it just uh, it just it feels kind of odd. And I think what makes it more, you know more odd is that uh, under pressure, that uh, Governor Pritzker said, "Well, you know, I'm not really even going to enforce this rule." So, but I, you know, data and science. <laughs> and, and but you're on your own uh but so i mean I, I guess it's you know we're going through the mechanics of determining whether or not it's okay to do this but in the state it's it, i don't say it's like a moot point because you know certainly you know enforcement could step in um at any time however the governor said that he is not going to infringe upon anybody's uh you know uh, practicing of uh, of their religion within those you know with within that those environments so. he, he, he did back off he did back off his, um, his as the lawsuit was working its way through the process the one filed by churches saying that they should be able to um, hold church services with maybe social distancing masks etc um, Pritzker did back off of that executive order and did allow um, churches uh, uh, to have more than 10 people congregate. So we'll see if, if, he, if he backs off of uh, this regarding political rallies or political gatherings. Mm -hmm. um, my sense is he probably won't bow to this one. Mm -hmm. um, one of the byproducts of the rules that exist in Illinois that don't exist in other states is that Illinois is losing out on things that otherwise would be held in Illinois. I mean, I'm pretty sure, but uh, the vast majority of conventions, if not all conventions in the city of Chicago have been canceled uh, kind of until further notice. And, and if you were planning a convention, I don't know that you would pick Chicago simply because of the uncertainty of whether or not you'd be able to actually convene. Um, Missouri took advantage of the rules in Illinois by taking away uh, the World Trap Shooting Tournament uh, which had been historically held uh, in downstate Sparta uh, because Missouri doesn't have the same restrictions. Apparently, it's like a big camping event and a multi-day you know, event. I'm, I'm not too dialed into the uh, pro or even amateur trap shooting circuit, but looks like Missouri's picking up where Illinois is leaving off. Yeah, what's been a... Uh, 20 million to 30 million dollar boons is now going away and if you lose it um, if you lose it this year because of Illinois much tighter restrictions um, what's to say it ever comes back um, uh, it's going to be in um, Lake of the Ozarks uh, in Lynn Creek they have a great event uh, in Missouri 
why not just continue there? Why, why, why come back to Illinois? And of course, this is just one event that Illinois is going to lose out on um, uh, if we stay uh, if we stay under the, the current executive order with these restrictions that are in place, limiting to ten people in gatherings mm-hmm. um, and, and and other restrictions. So it's it's our economy's already been hit because of you know the 1.4 million folks who have been laid off in this state because of uh the restrictions that closed de- businesses that uh, pritzker deemed up and now to lose events like this uh, and perhaps permanently it's you know just further damages this it's already um troubled economy yeah and this is i mean this is a world event it you know it, it's actually it's called the grand american it's not as if it's like a a competition among Illinoisans or anything like that. This is an event that can exist anywhere. And um, for different reasons, uh, events move. I mean, and so that you're, I think you're, you may be right that, that this could be something that if they're able to have some success with it um, over in, uh, you know, uh, in Lynn Creek, Missouri, uh, Lake of the Ozarks, which is beautiful country over there. Uh, it may not, it may never, never come back. And, and I, I don't think you'd have a whole lot of, ground to stand on i mean you know it's gone and perhaps gone for good um you ever trap shoot chris uh i'm not very good at it i i gotta be honest with you i mean yeah it's just not my it's not it's just not my best it's not my best skill um i like shooting stuff i like you know i mean i i I feel better about shooting things that are standing still or, or aren't moving i should say or sort of static uh, I like my chances there. Um, if you're a, a bottle uh, and maybe, you know, 5, 10, 15 yards away from me, then you've got a real problem if you're that bottle. But if you're moving, flying through the air, and basically the size of a right. big hockey puck, I, you're going to be pretty safe until you land, of course. So Make sure everyone's standing behind you when you when you fire, huh? I try to, I try to observe the, the, the basic tenets of uh, firearm safety. Um, local playgrounds still closed, although my youngest daughter's in camp this week, which has been fascinating. I dropped her off uh, just this morning. Uh, They ran the temperature scanner across her forehead, uh, asked me a series of questions that reminded me of the last time that I visited China. Um, And then, uh, of course, they were nicer and they and they and they spoke to me in, in, in English, which was really appreciated because uh, I'm not very good with Mandarin. Um, she can't go on the playground at the camp. Playground's still closed. Gyms and fitness centers are still closed, except if you're working outside with a personal trainer, then for some reason that's okay. Uh, I guess maybe it's a control thing. I know a lot of people are into fitness, trying to stay healthy and against the backdrop, which has, you know, been, been very, very challenging to people on a, on a, on the mental side of COVID that fitness and recreation are absolutely great for your well-being. We're still not able to go to the gym. So what's going on? I shared this anecdote with, uh, with the journalists at the center square earlier this week when we were talking about working on a story on fitness clubs and, and um, uh, my son, who's home uh, for the summer, belonged to a gym in Illinois before he graduated from high school. Went mm-hmm. frequently. Mm-hmm. He's decided uh, with a, with a couple of friends to join a gym in Wisconsin, and then they travel up there uh, four four or five times a week um, to work out at the gym. And um, you know, while they're there, they've uh, the fishing, they've eaten out. They've spent money, I guess is what I'm saying, in Wisconsin that otherwise would have been spent uh, in Illinois because he can't he can't go to a gym in Illinois. You know, he's told me that um, they take precautions. Staff wears masks. They clean down the equipment after each use. So there there are ways to do this safely. Um, Illinois right now, Governor Prisker just chooses not to, or at least not to allow it. Yeah, I don't know what the hang-up is there. To be honest with you, I mean I. As far as it goes, I mean, you know, touching common surfaces, I get that. But there also has been 
some pretty relevant updates in, in our understanding of COVID transmission, you know, with regard to just surface contact. And, and I believe in the last, you know, sort of spinning wheel determination as to whether it is or isn't uh, relevant, that it isn't as relevant uh, as uh, actually being like breathed upon. Um, you know, this is still a, a droplet driven uh, transmission process is sort of the clearest understanding of, of how it spreads. I don't get how gyms are closed. I, 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 I don't, I just don't. Um, I mean, uh, one of the, one of the harder parts is when we're talking about people's health. I mean, right. Um, people need to exercise um, uh, to stay healthy. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's just more, I mean, it, it's one contradictory thing after another with Governor Pritzker's restrictions. Um, it just, it, it, from day one, this just doesn't make any sense. Well, and here's what I was about to say. I mean, um, it's really easy to shut the economy off. It's really easy to tell everybody to stay home. It's so hard. This has proven so very difficult in trying to determine how to turn it back on because any decision you make of restarting connects to the decision that you made to shut it down. And instead of, you know, taking a measured approach and again, you know, to kind of bring it full circle to what we talked about at the very beginning, you know, who were the most vulnerable? What was the most likely, uh, problem or you know what was the what was the greatest problem that we were trying to solve at the beginning of this we didn't address we didn't address seniors we didn't address the most vulnerable the immuno immunocompromised people we shut everything down and as a consequence of that i think that you know we will probably in this state i, I would think again not a doctor not an immunologist not an epidemiologist i think we will have a second wave because we're, we're now we're turning things back on um, and uh, the immunity is not there, that the people who could have gotten sick, should have gotten sick, probably was okay for them to get COVID-19. I shouldn't say sick because there have been some people, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in an indetermined number by percentage of people that have been diagnosed with COVID-19 that have had very mild or no symptoms at all. But we could have gotten that, that group of people through this process and in theory, onto you know some level of immunity, or maybe they had the antibody. We still don't understand the science of that completely, I, and, and it would be foolish for me to, to speak uh, about it as if it were conclusive because it is not. But we're now trying to turn things back on, and because government was the driver of turning it off, they have to be very thoughtful and selective, um, and. On some level, it's about the optics of how to turn it back on. And gyms, I think, is one of the ones that's just the simplest. I think it's dumb. You know, offices, I mean, my goodness, you know, how many people in an office? How many people, you know, I mean, in the in in these pro in these protests that are touching the same things or are, are within easily within six feet of each other? And that's not a problem. But if I want to go grab a barbell that's been wiped down after someone else used it, I can't. Yeah. I'm not buying it. Manning and frustrating. Not buying it. Dan, what else is on your mind this week? Still no baseball, kid. Man, that's no agitating me. Not sure if we're going to get there. You just sent me a link uh, to a story saying there might not be football. Yeah, the Fauci, Dr. Fauci um, said that, that he, you know, he, I don't know that that's new information. I think it's just been amplified by the fact that we get a little closer to football. Uh, and if there is not going to be a baseball season, the football becomes the next thing for us to look forward to, you know, in the sporting society. Uh, Fauci struggling with the idea of how you're going to do that. The NHL, meanwhile, uh, it, they have teams on the ice and they're getting ready. They're going through what amounts to be a training camp. They don't have a date set for their, for their, tournament just yet but they're they're edging towards playing the nba um they have facilities uh that are open 
And um, I, I, I have to be honest with you. I'm not really sure where the NBA is, you know, with regard to its return. That seems to be a quieter story right now. The NBA, July 30th is when they plan to start playing um, camps starting at the end of this month. Okay. Okay. But the team facilities are open, so you can go in and get a workout. It's just uh, it's right. uh, you're on you're kind of on your own, or maybe it's limited, I, I think is the, the way I recall they were planning on doing that. I just think it would be really the PGA, the PGA returned um, the German soccer league. The Bundesliga has been back for three mm -hmm. weeks now. Mm -hmm. So they, they're, they're showing that no fans in the stadiums, um, um, no fans at the golf tournament last weekend, but, but we're showing that it can be done. Now football, you know, full on contact sport. I can see where that might be a little bit more challenging. Baseball, you know, certainly you can make baseball work. Yep. And the IH, but the IHSA, the Illinois High School Association, they did this within the last couple of days. It might have been actually been yesterday. They did release guidelines for uh, how they might be able to get sports back going. Um, and um, I mean, I think on some level, if you're a golfer or a cross country runner, um, maybe a tennis player that, you know, that you're, you know, that you're, contact with people would be somewhat limited although cross-country runners would tell you that they run in packs and you know which i'm not going to argue that but the football participation piece of that was uh was kind of interesting in so much as that it was included in the in uh in their thinking at least at this point yeah and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because um really camps start near the beginning of august maybe the middle of august um, so we're, we're really, you know, less than two months away um, from that. So this is going to be a developing story over the course of the summer, certainly. I think um, so the, the high school athletics are going to take their cues from, from colleges and the pros. If we can make it work at the pro level, then uh, I think we can make it work at, at the high school level, well, too. And the underpinning of that is that, you know, um, schools. W will schools follow through and bring students back? Um it seems like we're heading in that direction that in-person school is the preferred route uh, having lived through the nightmare of e-learning you know for really ab about three months i mean holy cow if they can't figure out how to get these kids taught in in the in a classroom setting um i think I do, you might have, I do you might think, have a mutiny on your hands here in the state yeah i, I do think schools are open to students but i think it's it's not going to be normal it's going to be different there'll be restrictions in place they might um, require mass certainly of staff types of students um, they might stagger schedules so fewer people are in buildings at the same time um, instead of changing um, class you might be stuck in one room uh, all day to limit contact. Um, lunch might be eaten at your desk instead of in the cafeteria. These are things discussed in other states mm -hmm. uh, that are that are way ahead of Illinois when it comes to planning the reopening of schools. Um, but I think those are some of the things that we could see here in Illinois too. I will tell you one of the aspects of the of the youth camp that my youngest daughter uh, is attending is you know this whole rigmarole which I, i'm not mocking it I, I i appreciate the the level of detail and this is a ymca program in a local ymca um they're taking her temperature once she gets out of the car they're asking me the questions that they're asking which you know are perfectly fine and um they are then wiping down uh her hands with sanitizing um you know uh, hand sanitizer and then using like what amounts to be like a Clorox cleanup or some other type of sanitary disposable towel to wipe her backpack down because I mean, she has to take her backpack and then her lunch has to be in a brown paper disposable bag. You know, I mean, a lot of times you send kids off with uh, thermoses and um, you know, like a lunchbox. Nope, not anymore. It's one-time use. We throw it in the trash. We're done with it. You're not taking it in and, in and out of the home. Kind of a, like the same thinking about the reusable bags at the grocery stores, which are, they put the kibosh on that, uh, I want to say, two months ago. Are, are, the, are staff wearing masks at camp? 
Staff's wearing masks, and uh, the kids are wearing masks. Now, kids are wearing masks too. I will tell you that the masks are not, you know, that these masks are not necessarily made for, you know, for kids. Um, so we've had to doctor ours a little bit to make it to make it work. But my understanding is, and today is day four of camp. She started on Monday. Uh, that she kept her mask on the entire time, and and she'd said that the other kids had as well. I think they're just so happy to be there and so happy to be around other kids and doing stuff, even if it's, you know, whatever is done at camp, which some of it's probably riveting and other parts of it are probably mind-numbingly boring. But I think she's just happy to be out of the house and interacting with other people her age. Well, your daughter's a little bit older. Um, uh, We have a colleague um, who has a... Uh, a four-year-old and a three-year-old, they might be five and three now or whatever, and they returned to daycare uh, this month. And the, the the old of the two, which are still young, um, has been able to keep his mask on, but the younger one just refuses. So there's mm-hmm. there's definitely some challenges with younger kids and masks. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see what's going on with that. We absolutely will check in. I, I, I think, though, that if I were a parent uh, in the state of Illinois, that I, I would be asking these questions regarding the start of the school year now. And, you know, this uh, fun fact, uh, school boards actually do get together in the summertime. So if you've never been to a school board meeting, and I'm going to guess that the vast majority of people who are listening have never been to a school board meeting, and the vast majority of people who are listening have probably never been to a public meeting of any kind because virtually no one goes, Uh, no one watches it on TV, I encourage you to participate in that uh, activity at a new level, be heard, say what you have to say, listen, understand what the plans are because uh, you're paying for it. You have the right to know. So with that, Dan, um, I appreciate the time. Always great to talk with you. Uh, I look forward to what is on tap next week. Thanks. For Dan McCaleb, who's gone eerily silent, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to Illinois and Focus's Crosstalk segment. Now over to Greg Bishop with a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, we'll review the public health data and what consumers and businesses can expect as the state prepares to enter into phase four of Governor J.D. Pritzker's reopening plan amid COVID-19. That will still have limited gatherings to fewer than 50 people with continued restrictions on business operations. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.